Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday celebration from the Center of Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. So with the ringing of the mindfulness bell, the invitation is to stop. And in that stopping to open. And in that opening to discover what is always there. My Zen calendar this morning was Thomas Merton. And Thomas Merton said, when you know that you're nothing, then you realize that you're everything. And so the invitation is to know ourselves not as the me, but ultimately as the we, that we are all one, part of the one life. And then if you mm, even expand it larger, you realize that we are the all. That All there is, is the one life outpicturing in diversity. If you question this assumption, just go into a garden. I have a little plaque in my garden that says, the earth laughs in flowers. That's by Emerson. And when I see that, I find myself looking at the flowers and seeing laughter exploding in the garden. There's another plaque in the garden that says, we are all flowers in the earth garden of one many different colors. And so to experience ourselves in a more expanded way gives us comfort to know that it's not about me. It's never been about me. It's been about the one life, the one heart, the one mind. And when the heart is set on fire, as we described last week from Rumi. He said it starts with a a spark within the heart. It then expands into a flame and ultimately becomes a bonfire of love. This is Deepak Chopra. To experience this bonfire of love. And then we hear Rumi, who said it's not so much seeking after the love, but seeking after the obstacle or the barriers to that love. And then the willingness to take down the barrier or the obstacle. And so then you hear Karen Drucker singing, there is only love, there is only love, a love that heals, a love that sets us free. There is only love. And so I feel this presence of love in this space that we co-create together. Jesus said, when two or more are gathered in my name, meaning my nature, I am there. And so his nature was unconditional love. 
And last week we spoke about unconditional love as the ultimate symphony, the ultimate expression of the one life. And to know ourselves as that. That sets us free to be the love that we are. And this February, we get to breathe into that space and breathe out from that space and trust in that expanded felt awareness to assist us in assuming the consciousness that's required to take the next step on this journey to nowhere, on this journey to now here. When you're ready to explore this vision in new, fun, creative, loving ways, I invite you to open your eyes to be here now, to be love now. And I hear Ernest Holmes that says, divine love brings together and maintains together in harmony and balance those who belong together. So could we open to the wisdom of divine love, even though we might have screwed it up along the path, but yet divine love brought that to you and brought whatever it is to us so that we could grow and evolve. I loved yesterday's Zen calendar was Jack Kornfield who said, you know, the spiritual practice that we engage in is to help us meet the obstacles and troubles of life, knowing that they will help us discover wisdom and love. So then it doesn't really become a problem or a trouble. It becomes an opportunity to yet again, what is the universe showing me? My friend reminded me in our revealing service, spirit will take you to the strangest places sometime. I mean, it brought me here to Alabama. It brought me to the man who I've been with for 50 years. The one person I said, it will never be anybody but him. And I've been with him for 50 years. So obviously, I don't have a clue what spirit wants. And yet when I show up for life with a grateful heart, that life has a way of teaching me and continues to teach me. It's a good time to turn off your phones in case you haven't. I always turn mine off and put it in the basket back there. By the way, that's where the collection basket is, in the back of the room. And um, it just waits for you and me. Isn't life a precious thing? I'm, I'm talking about love this month, and this is the last of four talks. And the title of today's talk is Love, Comma, relationships, comma, and radical honesty. My sweet husband had his 75th birthday on Ash Wednesday, which is February 22nd, which is also Washington's birthday. And um, on his little altar, I gave him the book, Whatever Arises, Love That. He said, are you trying to tell me something? I said, well, no, it's just a, a way, a love revolution that could begin with you. So when you have a hissy fit, you can just love that hissy fit. Well, it didn't go over well, so I reclaimed the book. And... <laughs> so then we played a simple little game of backgammon, which is his favorite game, and um, I got eight points. Well, he stood up from the backgammon table, said, that's it. The universe is giving me a message. This year is going to be a horrible year. I said, honey, it's a game. Let me give you the gift of those eight points for your score. Now, mind you, his score is 97. I'm at 50. So I'm way down on the scale, but it's his birthday and you don't beat someone on their birthday. So I apologize profusely and I reminded him, uh, whatever arises, love that. No, that didn't go well. So <laughs> relationships, as Ram Dass said, are the toughest yoga of them all. 
And isn't that wonderful that we get to be with each other to assist each other when maybe one needs a hand up? Rumi says, we're here to walk each, walk each other home. And that's such a beautiful uh, way of saying, uh, sometimes I need some help. And, um, and you're always out there for me, every single one of you. Um, I pulled out my Mark Nepo, who wrote this beautiful book, More Together Than Alone. And he talked about the necessity of us coming together as a collective on the planet. It's never been about the individual. And he starts this beautiful book off by quoting His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, it's about moving from me to we. And then if you want to take it to even a higher revelation, this is His Holiness himself. He said, we must conceive of ourselves as part of one community. Now, Mark Nepo takes the word common, which means that we all share it, and unity. There is a common unity that we get to experience here at the Center for Spiritual Living, or let's call it community itself. Common unity, common oneness. His Holiness, we must conceive of ourselves as part of our community. We must support that one humanity through our own spiritually based communities and not put our own community ahead of that one humanity. If we want a better world for our grandchildren, we must act now. He's calling us into entering into communication and communities in an activist sort of way. No. If we want a better world for our grandchildren, we must act now. We can't continue to just regret, regret, and regret all the mistakes of the past. He says, well, change will come from education. It won't come from meditation. Well, this is his holiness saying that we need to educate ourselves a little bit better that we are each other, that this planet is our home, and that when we trash the planet, we're trashing our own self. He says we must have education, not simply meditation. A sense of our wholeness is a necessity. Doesn't he sound like a science of mind person? And you know what he says in his book of happiness, The Art of Happiness, the very first quote in The Art of Happiness, he said, Buddhism at its best is the science of mind. Direct quote from His Holiness. A sense of wholeness is a necessity right now. We must move from the I into the we. There he is telling us to go into the, we are one. We sing the song when we have music, that we are one, I am you, you are me, we are one. And in this unity, we will live in harmony. And in that harmonious way of seeing everything is connected, then peace will come. Because we're not separate from the ones in Bangladesh. I was talking to this beautiful friend I hadn't seen in a long time. And he says, why are people so friendly over there in Bangladesh? We're here, I don't even know my neighbor's names. I remember when Gigi and I went to Istanbul for the first time, you'd be walking around the streets and they would put their hand on their heart and they would bow to you. And it's like, I don't get that when I'm walking around on snow. And I thought, what's, this is so strange. And then, you know, we have this propaganda about what it's going to be like in a Muslim country. It isn't what you think it's going to be. It's entirely different. So Mark Nepo, let me give you a taste of him. He says, we are they and they are us. And the times and the and the timeless choice between love and fear is always with us as individuals and as a nation is not a choice of policy, but is a choice of conscience. So it is the choice of decency that keeps us as humans in the face of disturbances stirred up by fear. He said, I implore you to be kind to one another and truthful. That's where that radical honesty comes in. We finished our Emerson class. Well, we, have, we have two more classes, but we finished the little book this week. And he talked about standing for something. 
He said, beware when the universe unleashes an original thinker. And so Emerson at the end of his life was speaking for freedom for all people. And he says, you can't be a Christian and call yourself and have slaves. And then, and, and then, and then Emerson said, and to use Christ's words to justify it, he said, he would never justify something as heinous as that. So he says, put on the mind of Christ. And then he took on women's liberation. And he said, if we bring women into the owning property with equal rights, they will enhance us, not diminish us. So he was standing for something and stomping his foot. Mary, that's why I love the man, because he's not afraid to speak the truth. So this is what uh, Mark Nepo is saying too. In the face of the disturbances stirred up by fear, I implore you to be kind and truthful, to be a lantern in these dark times and to call out prejudice whenever you see it. In addition to whatever ways each of us is called to gather, participate, legislate, or protest, I implore you to never stop watering the seeds of human decency. Because this is Black History Month, last night on PBS, they had that beautiful documentary which showed the civil rights movement here in Alabama, in Birmingham in 1960, when a very young, um, what was that? John Lewis was sitting at the lunch counter and they said, we're not going to feed a N at our restaurant. And then you saw the peaceful protests and Martin Luther King standing up, talking about freedom and that we all should support one another in that freedom. And then you saw 1963 marching from Selma to Montgomery. And then you saw even Lyndon Johnson in 1965 saying, we shall overcome and had the courage to have the Civil Rights Voting Act at a time. And you saw the evolution of our country. And then I switched to the year anniversary of the Ukraine war. And I see these young Ukrainian children being taken into Russia, waving Russian flags, saying, now we're going to convert you into good Russians. And my heart said, no, no, this isn't right. And then I get a book from my prayer partner in Canada called Yum Yuck Something, which is a native word meaning that we are all. And it's the story of the indigenous people who were taken from their tribes and tried to get knock the Indian out of them so they could be good Canadians. And the beautiful thing about this Nam Yuck autobiography that he sent me in the mail this week, the opening chapter is called The Vision. And after he left the school, a tattered man, he became an alcoholic, his life went down the tubes. And in that dissipated place, he heard a voice. And the voice said, you are loved and you belong. And he didn't know if it was the voice of the creator or the voice of the ancestors, but that simple act of the voice said that you are loved and you belong changed his life and he never had a drink again. And then he made it his mission to write his autobiography. It's become a national bestseller. And the second chapter of the book was a march in Vancouver. There were like 70,000 people, Canadians with their umbrellas, and it was a horrible rainy day. It didn't stop the Canadians. And they're marching, singing, we shall overcome, and we are one, and they're pounding the drums. And it gave me hope that the Sangha was coming together with a vision we're no longer. And you know, when I was in South Africa in 1999, um, Nelson Mandela was the president at that time, and I went to Robben Island where he was incarcerated for 29 years. And when he was elected president of South Africa, he said, we need truth and we need reconciliation. So Desmond Tutu came in there. That's what's happening in Canada, truth and reconciliation. Yes, we have some amends to do. We have some wrongs to right, but we can't do it by pre pretending that we didn't do something wrong in the past. So he says, I implore you to stay devoted to the proposition that when filled with love, we can work as angels here on earth using our caring hands as wings. 
We can be angels here on earth using our caring hands as wings by opening to the love. Ah, to love one another. That was Jesus' last words, just love one another as I've loved you. Now, what does that mean? To me, love is not, Rumi says, what you think of love are but subtle degrees of domination and servitude. He says, but that's not love. He says, true love comes fully formed like the moonlight in the window. Could we open to a love that is that all-embracing, that's that all-pervasive? And I did a, a class on Jack, um, oh, what's his name? Um, the Deepest Acceptance. Anyway, what? No, um, see, sometimes I can't remember their names. What is his name? Anyway, Jeff Foster. And Jeff Foster says to really love somebody is to deeply accept them right where they are. To not say that you have to change, that I have an expectation of you, and if you meet that expectation, then you're worthy of my love. No, you accept them right where they are, all their flaws. My beloved Pam is sitting back there today, and you know, when she first met Humphrey, she said, I've never seen an uglier dog in my whole life. And I said, Pam. <laughs> And, but then now he's gotten so diminished, she says, he's so ugly, he's cute now. And, and so it's so funny when we go out to places to eat, he doesn't like to be separated. So I wheel him around in his stroller and he sits in the stroller with his one eye and people come running up to him and they want to talk to him and they want to pet him. And he just sits there like a little Zen pug saying, do I have to receive all this love, all these scratches, all these things? He said it was easier when they thought I was ugly. No, they want to play with me. We're all connected, and I find him so. So yeah, we are. When we let love, with love, we can work as angels here on earth, using our caring hands as wings. So the question we get to then ask ourselves: How are we doing with this love relationship and radical honesty in our lives? Are we taking it to the next level, where what's ours to do is ours to do? For me and Pam, it's tending this, the peas. She planted her sweet peas. My peas are up, Pam. Have you noticed? She goes, thumbs up. There's something simple about just like, and I like what Phil said, we're all planting seeds. Are we planting seeds of empowerment? Are we planting seeds of hope? Are we planting seeds of acceptance? Are we planting seeds of tolerance? You know, as a gay man, I was told years ago, we have a, a principle of tolerance around gay people will tolerate you. And at the time, I used to find that offensive. You're going to tolerate me. But now I think toleration is really a beautiful thing to tolerate the inequities, to tolerate the injustice in a way that we can stand up and say, but that's not acceptable for me and in my neighborhood. Trey and I love to do uh, civic things. He's the head of the neighborhood watch thing. So every month we pass out the, the calendar and people travel and they note the neighborhood and we Five Points, it's a nice size area. And um, twice a year in Five Points, they have what they call cleanup Five Points. And so you show up with your trash bag and they'll give you one of those pickers, but I could never use one of those pickers. I just soon bend over and pick up the trash. And Trey said, because he's such a altruistic, he said, it shouldn't be just twice a year. Every day you walk out, you're walking down the street, you see trash, you pick it up. And so now we walk around with trash in our hands and because it's just the right thing to do. And, and if you do it with a smile on your lips, you know, you're carrying a beer can around all day, people are going to think things or not. <laughs> I've been wanting to teach this for a long time, but it's, it's huge and I don't think any of my students would like it. They like the little books. But this is called The New Republic of the Heart. And it's by a man who said, my heart is on fire with truth and my mind is calm with peace. And he says, when you have a heart on fire and a mind that's peaceful, then action can take place. And he's all about 
coming together in a Sangha energy as students of truth and freedom and light and love. When two or more are gathered with an intention to serve something greater, he calls it a revolution. An ethos for revolutionaries. Oh, that's kind of, I'll just give you the very beginning because it's too much to give you too much. And at the very end, and he says, is it too late? And his last chapter, it's never too late to change, to shift, to evolve. And he starts off by saying, it's always been tenuous times in the world. You're just not going to get around it. And he says, and we may self-destruct because that's how crazy it is on the planet. But he said, that's even more imperative for a consciousness like Emerson's to be born in you. One of my students said, where's the Emerson consciousness today? I said, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> anyway, so this is what he says. It's so he talks about the we space and the future of friendships and relationships into becoming the kind of spiritual friends and the kind of Sangha that might evolve us all into the next Buddha consciousness through the Sangha. I need you, Anastasia, to get there. I need you, Ashley. I need you, Tia and Shay. I need you, Nancy. I need all of you as the Sangha to get there in the collective consciousness, not the individual anymore. So he's taking us to the next level and the future of friendships by becoming a Sangha that might evolve into the next Buddha. He said, the ones, he said, we are the ones that we've been waiting for, as the Hopi prophecy said. We are the ones that we've been waiting for. And here's his, his plea at the very beginning of this long book. He says, the intelligence of the heart cannot be asked to wait any longer. It must now reclaim the whole human world. I would say the whole existing world with all the plants and all the, mm, the birds. This, by the way, is bird counting week. If you're um, like Treyas, he keeps counting the birds so they can determine the Cornell bird count if we are. So I'm out there listening to a, a little thing called Merlin and it'll tell you all the birds in your neighborhood. Have you discovered that? It's called Merlin. You just click on it on the thing and it'll tell you. We had a, what do we have? A gray grouse did something or other right here at the church. I didn't know they existed. Um, okay, this is what uh, Pattern calls the integral revolution, a process of growing into a new structure and stage of human evolution. It was Barbara Marks Hubbard that said, this may be one of the leading books on becoming the true human. What is the true human to be? So that's both necessary and unavoidable. Whether our future is a great hospice project or a great process of being wisdom to a new, bringing wisdom to a new cycle of technological, social, and economic uh, innovation, it needs our highest heart intelligence. Now the heart knows oneness where the head oftentimes gets caught up in duplicity, in belief, in thought pattern, in opinion, conclusion, but the heart embraces the oneness. The heart is the one that when you see the worms slithering across the sidewalk, picks the worms up and places them on. That's the heart that does that. The mind might just squish the bug. It's just a bug, but the heart doesn't do that. You can tell which one you're at. That must be enacted in every heart, in every relationship, in every organization, and in every fiber of the body politic. Well, you think love and the heart could awaken within politicians? Well, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. There was a, a trans woman in Wyoming who was elected by that state of Wyoming because she said, I wanted them to know that we're nice people. And so she came out of the closet as a trans woman and she basically said, 
you know, it's like Shylock, if you prick me, do I not bleed? Do we not have a heart? And through her open-hearted willingness to be seen, she was voted into office because she said, we're, we're human beings too. Now, could we be more courageous and come out of the spiritual closet as homo universalis, as the one life, not seeing differences, but seeing our interconnectedness? I think that's the challenge for all of us. And I know it's the challenge for me. So yeah, so whatever arises, love that. I thought I would give you a taste of uh, Matt Kahn in this lovely little book. It's all about love. He says, best of all, when love can be invited to work through you and me and respond on our behalf, Remember, divine love, put it in charge and it'll take care of all your relationships. It'll take care of your health. It'll take care of your finances. It's been waiting for you. Michael doesn't have the answers, but divine love does. He's telling you that here too. Best of all, when love can be invited to work through us and respond on our behalf, you don't even need to know why things occur. So is it a bad day or a good day? No, it's just a day. And some days the obstacles come up. Well, there's a day where the obstacles have come up. You know, it's so sweet. When I lift the pug out of the buggy, he can't see. So he walks into things. He'll walk into a wall. He'll walk into a bunch of twigs. And then he's trying to navigate the twigs with his little legs as he hobbles around. But you know, he never complains. They're not obstacles to him. They're adventures to him. And so he's such a teacher for me. Yeah. All that is required is a willingness to open your heart. Now, that's a complicated one, isn't it, Cindy? All that's required is that we open our heart to everything. Raul, who did you show up as this morning in the revealing service? Jose Jimenez? What happened to you? Do you have a little dementia going on? I never know what's gonna show up. I mean, I truly never know. Uh, all that is required is a willingness to open your heart. And with every step forward into a new spiritual paradigm, you are able to celebrate the arrival of heart-centered consciousness while holding a sacred space for the ascension of earth and the awakening of humanity. Now, isn't that a lovely image? So we open our heart and we have trust and faith that the human species is waking up as best they can. And if each one of us did our bit to smile at our neighbor, to do something kind, as Sylvia reminded me, and you know, His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, my religion isn't Buddhism. He said, my religion is kindness. So could we show up for whatever life brings us and bring that open-hearted awareness? That's the simplicity of it. A sacred space for the ascension of earth and the awakening of humanity. Lastly, he says, the importance of cultivating unconditional love is an essential stage in the completion of everyone's journey. Michelle, at this time, it's all about unconditional love. It's not about Miss Michelle. At this time in life. So whether manifesting a soulmate or healing our body, or seeking liberation from suffering, or integrating past realizations into a fully embodied state of being, each spiritual milestone swiftly finds its way to our once love has been invited into our lives. It will find a way for your health, your relationships, your work, when you let love lead the way. It's in science of mind, they say, let love lead the way, and then the law makes the way possible. Now, that's probably the most profound statement in the whole book. In fact, you could probably get rid of the book and just, if you can master that one, you got, you got the game made. Because God is love, and love is God. And it's going to take you where you need to be, not where you want to be necessarily, but where you really need to be. 
This is the dawning of your highest potential when the soul can move through us as the expression of divine love. It is the emergent of your soul into the beauty of human form. You're a soul with a body, not the reverse. The body is a temporary phenomenon. The soul is an eternal expression. You know, our beloved Thich Nhat Hanh, when he made his transition, he was so close to so many of us. And he would share, as he did when he was my teacher, he said, you know, the teacher lives within us. And he says, the expectations of the teachers live within us. And he said, I do nothing less than transmit myself to you. I live in you. Whether you're reading my book, whether you're listening to my words, and to realize that he's not dead, he's a living presence. My beloved son over here, Adam, and I have this relationship with him. And you know, he spoke about this organic truth. He, he coined phrases like we inter are. We're not separate. He used a phrase called interbeingness. Now, is that in the dictionary? No, but it's a Thich Nhat Hanh phrase. We are all the one life interbeing. He'll say, you look at the piece of paper and you see the tree, you see the sunshine, you see the water, you see the earth. And yet we've identified the paper as something separate, but it's not separate from all of you. So he said, this is the dawning of this highest potential. It is the emergence of your soul into the beauty of human form. It is the long awaited fulfillment of your divine destiny. And for the spiritual growth of all who inhabit our magnificent planet, it is the love revelation that begins with each one of us. I think that's what Edward Biljun was trying to say. It must begin with you, this love revolution. Don't expect your leaders and your organizations to do it if you're not willing to stand up to the front lines and say, here, this life belongs to you, beloved. Use it as you will. And then you'll be used in ways you don't even imagine. Lastly, he says, many blessings for your journey ahead. This is only the beginning. This is only the beginning. Once you say yes to love, well, then love has a way to guide us, to assist us, um, to transform us, to annihilate us. You know, love is an annihilating force. I remember when I started studying with the Sufis, Phil will appreciate this. I don't just study things, I embody them. And so when Rumi started coming into me, Rumi said, all swimming in the ocean of love ends in drowning. So I would come up here on Sunday mornings. This is when I would stand at the lectern and I would literally melt and fall apart. She remembers that, David. Some people were so shocked by it, they, they left the center. I didn't have a choice. Once you open to this love, and then you hear Rumi, um, all swimming in the ocean of love ends in drowning, and my life can be summed up by three words. I burned, and I burned, and I burned until all that left was left of me was ash. Now, all that burned away was Jalalad and Rumi, the one who thought he was separate, and he became the very light that he was seeking, and then all that was left was the love. Now, that's a daunting uh, invitation for each one of us, isn't it? To say you won't exist. But the funny thing is you can't get rid of the you. You're still going to have that lovely container, even when love becomes your reality. You're still going to have this form. And, you know, it's necessary because we need a personality to navigate. We need a consciousness to uh, make choices and decisions. That's why we've been given free will in the Bible. You know, we've been given free will. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the illusion? Or are you gonna serve the truth? And then you hear the Greeks who say, the Greek word for truth is that which unhides itself. So if the truth is hidden within and it reveals itself, when you place it as the priority, when you choose the truth over facts and opinion and doctrine, that's why Emerson was so powerful because he wanted a truth that could sustain his soul. He did not want an organized religious concept that said, the earth is the center of the universe and it started 6,000 years ago when Adam and Eve came on planet. 
And then here he is with Copernicus saying, oh my, no, we're a small planet in the galaxies. Something as simple as that woke him and he said, I cannot teach this pablum that the church is espousing that then would have us have to be redeemed from our sins. None of that's real. And even death isn't real. They would say, you know, his beautiful wife is either in heaven or God forbid hell. He says, no, no, she's an angel right there in my heart, in my soul. She didn't go anywhere. So when he's having these organic revelations, and they're, you can tell that they're authentic for him. Does that piss you off or does that wake you up? Well, I love it when it pisses people off because when it pisses people off, it's probably doing a better job than when it says, oh yeah, that feels great. It's always wonderful to meet our obstructions. My prayer partner, Terry Shea, we do a lot of circle of love gatherings or we used to do a lot of them. And I went up to Canada, we did one on Quadra Island out there. And I invite the ministers to do a workshop. And so he said, I've got the perfect <clears throat> workshop for all these CSL people. I said, what workshop is that? And it's called Embracing Our Demons. <gasps> we don't embrace our demons. We deny them. We reject them. That's the denial step of treatment. And he says, you can't deny something if you haven't met it. And so wouldn't you know it? That room was packed. And he'd have you meet your demon and he'd have you dialogue with your demon. And what? that's the part of you that you've rejected, that you've made wrong. So let's say your demon shows up as this fear. You say, ah, oh, there you are, Thich Nhat Hanh. There you are, my little fear. Let me love you. Then anger shows up with rage and indignation. Oh, there you are, my little anger. Let me hear what you say. You must care so much about something that you've shown up here with your anger body and let me love you so that you can feel heard and validated. And then you realize that all anyone ever wants is to be heard and to be seen and to be acknowledged. Yes, I hear you. You know, you have a hard time losing at games, honey, and I know that. And so why did we not play for points? No, I like to play for points because I like to win. I know you like to win. And then when he said to me, you gave me the greatest gift on my birthday. I said, what was that? And he said, I can accept defeat. I can accept defeat. I said, oh, that is so beautiful. You did, didn't you? You accepted the defeat of eight points and you only have a hundred points in the game and I'm down to like 50, but that's okay. I got the eight points and you thought it was a gift that you gave me because it was his growing edge. So Raul, you want to go back there and we'll do a little closing meditation? By the way, it's their 11th wedding anniversary today. When I married them, I never know what's going to happen when you do a wedding. Things happen. And Raul said, I want to sing a song to her. And he said, I needed the shelter of someone's arms. And there you were. I needed someone to understand my ups and downs. And there you were, such sweet love and devotion, touching my emotions. I want to knock and thank you, babe. No. How sweet it is to be loved by you. So everybody's crying and I had to do a wedding. So I, with tears in my eyes, we managed to get through it. So 11 years, I'm so proud of you too. I'm ready, Raul. We return to the bell, that sacred place of stopping that sacred place of meeting what arises. And whatever it is, it's welcome. Whatever it is, if it's the pain body, if it's sadness, if it's grief, if it's anger, we say, there you are, my little pain body, and I'm here to love you. I'm here to lift you up. I was working in the garden 35 years ago before I was in ministry. And on my little headset, I heard Ella Fitzgerald, embrace me, 
my sweet embraceable you. And it was God. It was the universe. And I'm crying in the garden. Embrace me, you irreplaceable you. It was that voice saying, do you know how much you are loved? Just one look at you. My heart grew tipsy in me. You and you alone bring out the gypsy in me. That's the aboriginal soul that Emerson spoke about that wants to be revealed. And this power loves us so much. I love all the many charms about you. Above all, I want my arms about you. Being held and embraced by the beloved. Don't be a naughty baby. Come to mama, come to mama do. Come to the love that loves you so much. My sweet embraceable. You. And so you are the well, you are the beloved of the beloved. You are the lover of the beloved. You are not separate. And you are in relationship to the moment. We are all in relationship to the moment. And this is the moment the Lord has made. The Bible says, so rejoice and be glad in it. Whatever the moment might be revealing to you. This power loves all the charms about you. Above all, she wants her arms about you. So don't. Run away from the love that is aching to support you, to uplift you, to remind you that you are loved and that you matter and that you belong. If a battered soul in Canada can hear this voice that transforms his whole life, we too can hear that voice of love reminding us that we are loved. And so we say in reciprocal manner to this presence within and all around, I love you. And then we fo follow by saying, and thank you for loving me. Say that with me. I love you. And thank you for loving me. Let's place our hands on our heart chakra. To this divine love, we'll say, I honor you. I, you. I respect you. I, you. I love you. You are the awakened presence of the one life. Revealing itself in magical ways for our mutual expression, for our discovery and revelation, for our embodiment and expression for the joy of the universe, ever expressing its beauty, its truth, its healing potential. This is our destiny. And we say yes, a thousand times yes. And so it is. So out there, have some fun, my beloved. If you want to be on the Zoom call, Jody, we'll take your number and you'll be invited. It's a lovely little gathering of hearts in the Sangha of Truth and Light.
you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org. You are love and you are light. Namaste. Yeah.